Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hi, I'm Dr. Catherine Broom, uh, Associate Professor of Medicine at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and joining me today is Dr. Carlos DeCastro, Professor of Medicine at Duke University, and we're going to talk a little bit today about paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria and how we manage. So, Dr. DeCastro, what is your philosophy on managing a naive patient who presents with PNH? We have to, you know, think about the context of what is this patient presenting with. Uh, is it hemolysis and the classical sort of uh, presentation for, for PNH that we think of, even though the majority of patients don't present that way? Uh, if the hemolysis is severe enough and they become anemic and symptomatic, then yes, we have to start thinking about uh, treatment of the, the hemolysis and how we're going to prevent that. If the presentation is with bone marrow failure, that's a whole different uh, pathophysiology of how that comes about. So we start thinking about immunosuppressive therapy, trying to raise all the blood counts. And finally, if the patient presents with a blood clot, then we have to think about how are we going to treat that blood clot to get them better. And that usually involves anticoagulation. Um, my general presentation with a naive patient when we're talking about hemolysis is to say, okay, are you symptomatic? And then which of the complement inhibitors that are out there are we going to choose for you? We have a choice of three, eculizumab, which is a C5 inhibitor that's given intravenously uh, at least weekly to, to start out with, and then every two weeks after a, a four-week loading period. There's rabulizumab, which is a much longer-acting uh, complement inhibitor at C5, very similar to eculizumab, but it's much more convenient. Uh, you load the patient uh, two weeks apart and then give it every eight weeks uh, intravenously. And finally, pegcetacoplan, was, which was approved last year, which is a C3 inhibitor, and is given subcutaneously twice a week with a home infusion device uh, that we teach the patients how to give at home. Uh, so all of these have to be considered. Uh, eculizumab and rafulizumab obviously have the longest track record in terms of treatment. We know their side effect profile. We know their long-term uh, efficacy and profile. They are very good to start out with, um, but some patients may not like the idea of having to come to an infusion center and may prefer something like a home treatment with a uh, Pegcetacoplan given uh, twice weekly. Pegcetacoplan is approved for all patients with PNH, not just those that are uh, suboptimal responsors, uh, responders to eculizumab or ravulizumab. So it can give and be given to anybody, but I tend to start with the ravulizumab first. It's much more convenient for the patient. And we, we again, know it's long-term side effects. Uh, and so we're, we're comfortable with its use. Pegcetacoplan, I will say, is probably coming on fairly strong, though, in terms of being used up front. Excellent. And so are there any specific um, clinical uh, findings as you're then uh, monitoring and managing your patient on a C5 inhibitor that may make you think about uh, needing or wanting to change therapies? So certainly if the patient is not responding well, if they are still anemic and symptomatic from that anemia, if they're needing transfusions uh, of red cells, uh, then we have to look at the patient and say, why are they not responding well? And uh, is the suboptimal response possibly due to C3 coating of the red cells uh, and then uh, the extravascular hemolysis that comes with it? And if that's the case, that would make me strongly want to switch them off uh, of the C5 inhibitor saying, no, this is not working well for you. Uh, you still are, are symptomatic from this anemia that's ongoing and from the, just the, the symptoms of complement activation. Let's try switching you to pegcetacoplan and see how you do. 
Do you notice or do you have any thoughts about the side effect profile of the C5 inhibitor versus the C3 inhibitor? And is that something that plays into your decision? They are very similar in terms of side effects. I will say that the uh, pexidocopan, because it's a, C, it's a subcutaneous infusion, we do see more infusion site reactions. So you have to be a little bit careful with that. But so far, patients have been able to tolerate that and learn to, to go through with that. And there was a little bit more diarrhea in the phase three study with the pexidocopan. Otherwise, the main thing we have to be aware of with all of these uh, complement inhibitors is the risk of infection, especially with encapsulated organisms such as uh, meningococcus. Uh, and in addition, with, with pexidocopan, we, we again uh, vaccinate against pneumococcus and uh, haemophilus influenzae uh, just to prevent those infections. The patients have to be educated about the risk of infection uh, too, so that they can be aware of the symptoms and what to watch for and uh, know when to seek immediate attention. And it sounds like um, these patients need constant and long-term uh, monitoring. How do you approach this long-term relationship with your patients and what kind of monitoring do you suggest for patients who um, are either on a therapy or maybe not needing a therapy right away, but you want to continue to manage and monitor whether they do need intervention in the future? That's a great question. I think initially when we're first starting treatment on patients, they do have to be monitored fairly frequently to see how they're tolerating it, how they're responding to the medication. But once they're in a stable phase, I would uh, probably see a patient uh, at least once every three months, uh, maybe in some of the patients that are very, very stable, I'll see them once every six months, but usually about once every three months. And again, I monitor their hematological parameters. I monitor their chemistries and their LDH. Uh, we look for any signs of ongoing hemolysis. And really, we look for how well they're feeling and doing on the medication. Are there... Um end organ toxicities, either secondary to the disease or to the therapies that also need to be monitored? Oh, certainly. I mean, if somebody's not on treatment and they have ongoing hemolysis, even if they're asymptomatic, I worry about the long-term uh, effects on the kidneys. We've seen uh, eventual renal failure develop from, from all the filtering of the hemosiderin. Uh, they can develop pulmonary hypertension. Um, they can always develop clots at any point, and that's a real life-threatening issue uh, if they develop a uh, thrombosis of some sort. Uh, so these are the things we have to think of as we go through and monitoring PNH patients and asking them about symptoms uh, of those things and monitoring their chemistries. With our currently available um, C5 and C3 inhibitor therapies, do you see uh, room for continued improvement in how we manage these patients moving forward? There are many ways we can improve. There's still room for improvement in all these. We still don't have a cure for this disease short of a bone marrow transplant, which is in most cases, uh, you know, too toxic to consider for somebody who may have a, a hopefully normal uh, life expectancy. Um, so it, it, at some point, we need to focus on the bone marrow failure and what causes that and how can we treat it better? Because the hope would be that if you can restore normal, normal hematopoiesis, the PNH clone may disappear and you won't have to worry about hemolysis. But that's still a far ways off in the future. In terms of treating the hemolysis, uh, we certainly have a uh, assortment of oral drugs that are on the horizon that are in clinical testing now, and that would probably make their lives much uh, much easier, more convenient to take an oral drug rather than considered a shot or an IV infusion, uh, and that will be wonderful. Hopefully, those drugs will show the same promise that they're showing now, and will get FDA approved in the future. 
Excellent. Well, that sounds like we have a lot of really exciting things to look forward to as we continue to care for and manage our patients' uh, PNH. I'd like to thank Dr. DeCastro for joining me today, and we would look forward to seeing you at our next broadcast. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.